You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I read recently how they, how they catch monkeys. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I was intrigued. Apparently, they, they put these clear cylinders, usually glass or plastic, uh, on the ground, and they fill them with bananas uh, because the monkey's got to see them. That's why they've got to be clear. And the monkeys come along, and they put their hand down with a long, narrow sort of top of these containers, uh, and they put their hands down and grab the bananas. And then they go to sort of withdraw their arm. They realise that they can't withdraw their arm while holding on to the bananas. And they would rather hold on to the bananas and try to get free. Meanwhile, the people contracted to collect monkeys for the various zoos and private collections around the world, they move in and the capture is very easy. These guys would rather, these stupid monkeys, would rather hang on to the bananas than let go and pull the hand free. Now, we can laugh about that, but, but friends, you know, there are therapists, there are psychologists, there are psychiatrists, there are counsellors in our community who in some cases get paid exorbitant fees to help people let go of their bananas. That's pretty much how the therapy industry works Uh, in our society. That's the way it is. These are the things that we are unable to release, the things we are unable to to let go of, the, the things that stop people in their tracks and ultimately lead them into emotional and sometimes spiritual Bondage and captivity. And and look, let's be honest. Let's be honest. We we all struggle in this area at one time or another. We all have difficulty in letting go of things that upset us, things that cause us pain. We all have bags, imaginary bags, into which we put the stuff, the stuff of life, these unresolved issues. And potentially they can weigh us down and dramatically reduce our effectiveness in life. I know from a pastoral perspective, some of you, some of us may be carrying bags right now. A suitcase of guilt, a sack of discontent, a duffel bag of weariness, a backpack of grief, an overnight bag of loneliness, a briefcase of utter despair and sadness. And we can end up like like the people we see at the airport. I've seen many of them the last couple of weeks, usually very inexperienced travellers who just have so many bags and it's very clear that they've overpacked and they're arguing about paying excess baggage and they're getting upset and they're taking bags on board that are not meant to be taken on board. Seems to be a particular gift for Americans, I've noticed. Um, and, And it's having an effect on their temperament and their well-being. Friends, we carry our emotional baggage for the same reason people carry too much for the same reason people carry too much luggage. We don't want to leave anything behind. In some cases we're afraid to leave the stuff behind. It distracts us from, from bigger fears we don't want to deal with. And although heavy, although really burdensome, sometimes our over our over uh, our overweight baggage becomes comfortable and familiar. And we don't know how to move forward without it. And frankly, we're not sure what we'd even do without it. That's how baggage can affect us. It's become so much a a part of who we are. So how do we accumulate the baggage that you and I carry? It's like the question they ask at the international airports here. Who packed your bag? Who packed your bag? Well, 
Our emotional and spiritual baggage can come from a variety of sources. It can come from the things we've been told. You know, over the years, I've spoken to people who can recall in graphic detail things that have been said to them over the years. And to this day, it still affects their thinking. It still affects their behaviour. A teacher who told them they'd never amount to much. A coach who said, you know, you, you, you just really don't have it. A parent who always told them to try harder, no matter how much success the young person managed to achieve. And these kind of messages become part of a person's scripting for life. And sometimes it's hard to let go of the resulting inferiority complex or the excessive need for approval or the the low self-esteem. All can be traced back to what people have been told. And then again, sometimes our emotional and spiritual baggage may come from the people we've trusted, the ones whom we thought genuinely cared for us, had our best interests at heart, but we found through painful experience they would have let us down, betray us, hurt us, deceive us, perhaps even rip us off, maybe in extreme cases to abuse us in some way. And of course the emotional scars left by these sorts of relational upheavals can result in a considerable amount of baggage because we may feel we're unable to really trust anyone ever again, unable to really give ourselves in love and commitment. Conversely, people in this situation may throw themselves in desperation at future relationships in the hope that the next person may treat them better. What about the baggage resulting from the things we've been taught? In my experience, this is particularly so in respect to faulty religious thinking. I mean, it's very hard for someone who's been raised to be afraid of God's wrath and judgment. It's very hard to communicate God's love and grace to that person sometimes. It's very hard for someone who's been taught that God is way up there in the wild blue yonder somewhere, totally disinterested in what's going on down here. It's hard to share with that person that through Jesus Christ, they can actually have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And when someone's been taught that church is all about rules and rituals and regulations, it's hard for them to accept and grasp that the church is really the body of Christ. It's an agent of transformation. It's an, agent, it's an agent of huge change and, and, and progress in the world. And that process requires its people to be open to change, to be flexible, to be tolerant of others, especially those who are different or marginalised. People who haven't been taught these things may bring to the church the baggage that makes them resistant to change, unaccepting of certain types of people, unaccepting and intolerant of any proposals or activities that don't fit neatly into their expectation of what a church should be like. And just as an aside, you know, I want to pay tribute to the Northside family and, and our ability over the years, we've proven this, to accept many changes and innovations, especially those of us who, like me, come from the Church of Christ background, you know, and a strict way of doing things, a very ordered structure. And over the years, we've had to accept and embrace so many changes, and Northside over the years has done that so well. And I salute you for that. Well, back to these points, there's another influencing factor that can result in the placement of baggage in our lives, and that's the road we've travelled. 
the road, like the road of life, containing those painful, disappointing, hurtful experiences I referred to earlier, which can leave us with regret, can leave us with disappointment, with anger, with remorse, frustration, and in extreme cases, an overwhelming sense of meaninglessness in life. It's just all too hard. I mean, you talk to a lot of people and you soon realise they've had a particularly harsh road to travel. And I know that's the case with numbers of you in this church this morning. You've had a particularly harsh, there's no rhyme nor reason for it. It's just, it's just been a harsh road. One of the ministers we sat down with um, this past week in Phoenix, Arizona, he's one of our dear friends and uh, a very large church. And uh, I knew the question would come up. One of the guys in our group said, so what's been one of the biggest difficulties you've had to overcome in ministry? And I knew it was coming. It comes every time. Uh, the guy tears up every time. He said, well, um, our little boy was born as a haemophiliac. And um, when he was 15, he received a bad dose of blood. And uh, in that year, he died of HIV AIDS. And uh, he said, you know, to keep getting up and talking with, you know, confidence and optimism and pointing people to hope during those months and, and the subsequent years was very, very difficult. But this guy did that, broke through that, claims the grace of God and the power of God that enabled him and his wife to get through that. Life's just pretty tough for some people. Let's put the spotlight on our reading for a moment. Friends, here's a guy with a baggage problem. This is the reading brought to us by Loretta. The man at the Bethesda pool. I'm not referring to his physical disability in this, in this instance. The Bible says he'd been disabled. Uh, he'd been a cripple for 38 years. But for the purposes of my message this morning, I want us to look beyond his mere circumstances to what was really happening in terms of his attitude and his response to his circumstances. After all, life is not so much what's happening. Life is how we are responding to what's happening. The source of strength and authority we're relying on to get us through. Well, there are a few things we need to highlight. You see, the man at the Bethesda pool was, well, first of all, he was full of regret. Second, of, second part rather, of verse 7. Somebody else gets there first, was his answer to Jesus. It's a reference to the, the stirring of the waters. It's a footnote in the, in the Good News Bible because some manuscripts leave this little part out, the bit about the angel coming and stirring up. It's, it's not in all manuscripts, and so the Good News Bible just kind of leaves that out. But that's what this guy's referring to. And the first person in the water was healed. And so the guy says to Jesus, somebody, somebody else always gets there first. It's in the same vein, is it not, as someone saying, I've always missed out. Yeah. I've been dealt a rough hand. I wish I was in a better position. If only, if only, if only. Secondly, the man is blaming others. It's not stated. It's not stated, but it's implied. First part of verse 7. I don't have anyone to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And again, it's, it's interpretation to a degree. But this sounds to me like, why aren't people more caring? You know, why am I being passed over? Why, why does the world seem to be against me? Everybody seems to be so down on me, you know. There's something else. He was fixated on only one possible solution. Quite simply, he just wanted to be the first guy in that pool. 
Simple as that. 38 years, he wanted to be the first guy in that pool. Not surprising, given its history of, of healing. You know, friends, when we're weighed down with emotional and spiritual baggage, sometimes we're tempted to think all our problems will be solved if a certain thing happens. Just one thing, maybe. If I just had more money. If I just could get a new job, get me out of this terrible role I'm in. If we could move to a better house. If I could get some new friends, ones who were less dependent on me, less inclined to pull me down. If only I could change my circumstances. We're inclined to believe that there's one relatively simple solution to our hang-ups and fears. And if we only tap into that, everything else would be fine. But of course... The verdict is in. The irrefutable evidence is there. It's a truism of life. If we're only addressing the superficial external symptoms of our baggage, we'll get at very best a superficial and temporary solution to the problems. Our man in this story was consumed by the idea of getting into the pool. That was his goal. But you notice something? It's always impressed me about this passage. When his eventual healing came and he was healed, there was no pool, no angel, no stirring of the waters, no friends to help him get into the pool. None of the things he desperately hoped for, none of them eventuated. It was something far different. It was something far more powerful. You see, two statements from Jesus transform this situation, totally transform this situation. The first was a question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Are you ready to take responsibility? Are you ready for change? Are you ready to start doing things my way, says Jesus? The second was a challenge. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Take action. Do something about your predicament. In this instance, entrust your life to me. This is Jesus. This was a huge challenge requiring a huge amount of faith and courage. Also, a willingness on the part of this guy to fly in the face of the baggage he'd been taught by the Pharisees about not doing anything on a Sabbath, even taking up your mat and walking. And this was to get him into big trouble in the verses that follow, as some of you know. It was to incur the wrath of the Pharisees. Friends, in closing, and time is against me, these are the two crucial things Jesus says to you and me today. In his deep desire for us to be free of the debilitating things, the baggage that holds us back, to be rid of the the things that make us less than what we can be, as, as an attempt to help us to live free and travel light, he says, do you want to get well? Are you really serious about getting well? And he says, get up and take action and entrust your life to me. This is daily part of our journey. If you're a Christian, this is daily what we do. To not, not take away the realities of the tough things of life. No, it's not that simple. But this is the way we find relief Release. This is the way we can progressively, by his grace, take things out of the bag. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a lifetime in some cases. 
but to make sure we're living free and traveling light. This is a daily exercise. Responding to the question of Jesus, do you want to get well? Do you want my grace, my love, my forgiveness, my sustaining power in your life? Do you want it today? Not when you're baptised only. Do you want this as an ongoing part of your daily journey? Take up your mat. Get on your feet. Take your responsibility. I'll do more than meet you halfway through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the good news we celebrate here every week. You may not even know that good news. You may not even know Jesus Christ at this level. You may have hang-ups about those things I said earlier. You know, he's wrathful and full of vengeance and out there somewhere. No, no, no. This is the good news is that that's faulty. That, that's, a, a, that's baggage from, from false teaching. He's right here. He's as close as breathing through the power of the Holy Spirit. It could be that some of you this morning need to either come back and, and cement that relationship or maybe embrace that that offer of grace and salvation for the very first time. If God's been speaking to you this morning or at any other level, we invite you to come during the ministry time. Live free, travel light. What an invitation. Accept it to this week. Don't pay for your excess baggage. It's very expensive.